0: Hi everybody, this is Robin Veda Song, you probably know me as the wife of Kelly. The boys asked me to intro this film, because I'm the one who first showed it to them. As a teenager in the mid-90s, it's hard to overstate what a cultural impact this movie had. As if and whatever became a part of our everyday slang vernacular, and not just as quotes from the movie. Tiny backpacks became a big thing, Empire Waist Dresses made a comeback. I don't even think it was just because the movie made bold choices in fashion and language. I think it's because it gave us a glimpse of the kind of high school world we wished we lived in. Where girls drove the story. Where anything was possible because the boundaries between cliques and classes could be blurred by simple acts of kindness. Where it wasn't a big deal to find out that somebody was gay, it just meant you couldn't date them. And where Paul Rudd was very cute. He still is. (laughs) Here's Clearless. Oh, and the boys wanted me to tell you sorry that they forgot to mention Christian.
1: Um, yeah. Like, totally. Uh, where? What? Am- Where are... What am I doing here? Like, this is a
2: podcast. Oh. And we are not from the Valley, so we shouldn't even be trying to talk like this.
1: No, totally. Actually, I am from the Valley. I was born... Well, actually, just over the hill from the Valley, so um, if I'm actually going to talk like I am from the valley. I'll drop it down just a little bit right here.
2: Maybe you should be more California, just generically, like California. Yeah,
1: well, because well, I like live on the Malibu side of things, but like more, more Pismo Beach, the burned out part of Pismo Beach. You know, I don't have a home, but this this. Nice School is actually helping us out. Totally. It's pretty
2: cool. Totally. No, sorry, I just did the Turtle from Finding Nemo. Yeah, yeah I, you it. Were, you were really, really gearing close. towards Turtle there. Lost it. It was
1: good, though. Okay. Uh, welcome to Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms, where we are here, Kelly Song and... Ryan Graves. ...to give you a classic. Clueless, a.k.a. Emma. <laughs> yeah. hey, can I tell you a stupid thing I did today? Huh? Can you tell me if I was being a snob. Yeah. Hmm, snobby? Well, snob or knob is what I'm going to call this Snob or knob. <laughs> I He's think... got a huge knob. <laughs> Basically, I like Robin was uh, reading this article that was calling Clueless the best Jane Austen adaptation. Mm-hmm. And I was like... <laughs> There's something in my brain that sur- circuited for a second because I was like, surely that's 10 things I hate about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rob- going to call you a knob. Yeah. Robin, Robin, like, looked at me for a second. She's like, think about it. Uh, Take a no. second. And I was like, oh, damn stupid, it. <laughs> Stupid. Now, is the article saying it's better than Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice? No, I think it was talking adaptation in the respect of like let's set this in a different place
2: okay i'm glad this came up because i feel like i can make this tirade that i'm about to go on i'm going to be really quick about it but i'm going to go on a tirade for just Are you a hot about second. to be snobby yeah
1: okay
2: am i what maybe we should ask Uh-oh. am i snob snob or knob <laughs> okay so the trailer just dropped for netflix's persuasion starring dakota johnson Um, I'll give you a taste of the trailer right here.
0: Your face has matured. Your hair remains intact.
2: Your hair is also suitably appropriate.
0: You still have jam on your face. Now we're worse than exes. We're friends.
2: I have not seen this, so I'm going in blind. I'm just going on the tirade, and you can just enjoy my tirade. You don't have to debate me. Okay. Popcorn. They're taking a very, like... It's still set in Regency era. It's still set. It's still, you know, the costumes and all that.
1: But yeah. it's got a youthful vibe that's kind oh, of... it's persuasion, but not your granddad's persuasion.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that was also... I haven't watched it yet, but that's what marketing-wise I saw from the Emma adaptation that has Anya Taylor-Joy in it. Mm-hmm. That seemed to be what they were going for. And when I
1: saw that trail, I'm like, no, it makes sense, because that's Emma's vibe. It makes Total sense. She's 21 and like Jane Austen calls her out for having an easy posh life at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Persuasion, they take that same tack and they're kind of splitting the difference
2: where they're definitely not going Bridgerton, but they're flirting with Bridgerton because they're doing colorblind casting. And I'm like, I'm not going to complain about that, but it's still a little distracting. Um, But, you know, sure. Sure. Henry Golding. I love Henry Golding. I'm not going to say he can't be in this movie. Sure. Cast Henry Golding. Uh, But I'm more upset at the tone that the movie seems to be taking because they're casting, I think it, Anne Elliot. I get confused with Anne Elliot and Anne Baxter, but the main character, Persuasion. Well,
1: Anne Baxter is, isn't Anne Baxter the character from All About Eve? Yeah. So, so she's probably not being cast in much these days. Let me just triple check.
2: All About Eve was Eve Harrington starring Ann Baxter. Yeah. 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 Anyways. Yes, and Baxter. Um, (laughs) The trailer of this movie drops, and it has a very youthful vibe. Persuasion has not the youthful vibe. It is a very melancholy story, and it is Jane Austen's saddest by far, and it's a very introspective read. And this trailer to this movie, I was like, did you guys just not read the book? Did you read the back? Did you read Cliff's Notes? Like Cl- it- wait, hold on. This person, Cliff,
1: who makes notes. <laughs> yeah, was he there, giving you notes? Cliff's notes. Well, okay. on On the scale, the sliding scale, as everybody knows, the most youthful youthful movie in the world is Camp Nowhere with Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> uh, the most serious being uh, the Seventh Seal. Yeah. Uh, where where does per- Persuasion, the book, like land? Uh, where if you did a faithful adaptation, movie-wise? Oh, the book. I would put it at like eight. Like I would, I would take With it. Seven Seal being a ten.
2: Uh, yeah, it's it's more. It's even more serious than Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice, which has a very like Keira Knightley is a very buoyant character, but you don't have any characters like Elizabeth in Persuasion. They're all very like serious and reserved, and that's what makes it so like compelling as a story is that. Anne Elliot is quiet and Mm -hmm. doesn't really express herself Mm -hmm. and lives with this doubt and regret. And we're watching her stew while she's encountering this character who she regretted rejecting years before. And you're watching this drama play out. This movie seems to be unreserved, unabashed characters like that. That's not the drama of that story. Sure. Like you're just you're just kind of saying fuck all to what the story actually is. And I haven't watched the movie and maybe the movie is different, but the trailer seems to make it seem like a much, like they're not actually taking Regency era values and they don't seem to like incorporate that. Right. so it's like a little why less, are
1: you even here? So it's, you're kind of saying it's like historical fiction of historical fiction. Yeah. And it's yeah. like
2: with Bridgerton, fuck it,
1: go for it. Do yeah. whatever the fuck you want. Who yeah. cares? Because at that, at that point it's like almost fantasy. Yeah. It's yeah. dress
2: up, but you're taking, you're taking Jane Austen. And you're dressing up as Jane Austen, but you're not doing Jane Austen. So just why don't you do it like clueless? If you're going to say fuck all to like the actual vibe the story is taking, I see. Take a
1: just put it in the con the actual context you want to put it in. I think I think what we have here is kind of an uncanny valley situation. Precisely. Um, Where we've we've got a world where if you're going to like actually set something in let's let's take Shakespeare. If you're gonna yeah. set something in Shakespeare's England, you might be able to adapt the language a little bit yeah. in order for modern audiences to understand if that's what you want to do. But you want to kind of adhere to the to the times in a way, because you're like, well, we're setting it back here anyway, unless you're going for complete farce.
2: Yeah. Um or if you're doing something fun and silly and we're all in on the joke, like exactly. a Knight's tale. A night's yeah. tale, the soundtrack, doesn't make sense. But right. we're like, who cares? We're having a great time.
1: Right, but what I'm saying is if you're adapting Shakespeare, mm-hmm. but if you're like, actually, let's do 10 things I hate about you, then it it makes it so much more fun to and, set it in a high school, and it's which is so more, far away from the text. It's more effective for what you're trying to
2: do in the first place okay. because they're trying to take persuasion okay. and make it a fun poppy movie.
1: And it but, looks But they're also looks, setting it in the time period where that doesn't make sense. Yeah.
2: And it looks like they are taking it a little seriously. I'm not saying that they're being like completely disrespectful to the text, but they seem to want to compete with Bridgerton and and have something that is in that
1: like. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't seen the trailer uh, at all. And so I, I don't know necessarily if I agree with you, but what frustrates me the most is feeling the producers meeting where you you have like a room full of producers where they're like, ah, That was successful. Let's make it like that. Let's make it like that. Let's make it like that is the stupidest decision that a producer can make. Yeah. Because it's not necessarily about this one thing that people loved. Like, it's, it's, it's not one aspect of a project that made something successful. It's all of these different elements coming together and making something unique and wonderful. And you can't just copy paste that onto something else and be like this formula will work double except now we'll just add Jane Austen.
2: Yeah. And it's like, do you want to be a follower or do you want to be a leader? Cause Marvel comes in and they do the Marvel thing. DC's like, shit, shit, shit. We need a cinematic universe. And they like piece it together. And it looks really bad because they didn't plan it. They didn't think ahead. And the ones that do work have nothing to do with following in Marvel's footsteps. It's the ones that they were just truly genuine, mm-hmm. truly new. So be a leader. Do something new. So if you want to do Persuasion, but you don't want to be all dour about it, set it in a brand new setting. Do what Clueless does. And we'll watch the movie, and we'll see how it actually comes out. Sure. Yeah, it, I would love to th- go see this in theaters. Maybe it's the marketing that's making it seem more, like, poppy than it really is. And I don't know. We'll watch We'll watch Persuasion when it comes out in a few months, and then we can have a, a real conversation. But let's get to Clueless, uh, which is the point of this uh, episode.
1: Well, why don't you tell me a story?
0: Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably probably quote me a sonnet. I'm
1: not much more than an interpreter and not very good at telling stories. That's the
0: end. What do you mean that's the end? That's
2: not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end.
1: Butthead. Knob.
2: <laughs> 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 He's got a big knob. <laughs> Clueless is the story of Emma What? Wo- no. Share. Cher. Was anyone named Emma in this story? I feel like they
1: should have done a little throwback there. No, I, guess I don't think not. we have an Emma. We have a Ty, a Josh, a Dion, an Amber. Nah, D. No, D.
2: D. Uh, so yeah, we meet Alicia Silverstone, and it's already self-aware because it's like got this very '90s MTV aesthetic. And Cher comes in; and she's like, "Like, what's the deal? Are we watching a Naxima commercial, or what is this?" Like, she already is yeah. making fun of the movie for us.
1: Yeah, she she's a very self-aware, not in a bad way, narrator. She's precocious, mm-hmm. and Emma the story that's that's who Emma is. Um, I I I will say that this movie. Um, was turned into a TV show afterwards. For, I used to watch that show. I've never seen it. Yeah. It has some of the same actors, yeah. but not all of the same actors. Yeah. I remember
2: it definitely had Amber in there and maybe Donald Faison was in there is, too. Yeah. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is uh, Dion.
2: Yeah. And I remember, like, my memory of Clueless is the show. That's where I got a lot of exposure to. So I remember Amber being, like, the main character of Clueless. And, like, Cher was just kind of there because, like, she
1: was the actual original cast members. See, I, it's it's funny because, like, Amber is a, a, almost a nobody in this movie. Totally. But I th- I totally thought that Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm-hmm. okay, Uh, that movie came out and everybody was like, okay, this is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This is fine. But the the TV show comes out and it's like, oh, this is great. Yeah. And so I figured that this was kind of the opposite where this movie drops and then this TV show comes out afterwards and it's like kind of earthquake aftershocks where it's not as powerful, but it's still there.
2: There was going to be a TV show of Legally Blonde too. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. And there was, or was there a 10 Things I Hate about You TV show? I think they tried to do something like that. Or there's going to be a sequel. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let's ask the TV gods someday. Uh, So yeah, Cher, we meet Cher. She is a teenager living in Los Angeles. She has a very upper crust life. It's very nice. Uh, Her her, dad is a lawyer. Yeah. Um, And it it very much paints this extremely vivid picture of teen culture in the mid 90s. And it's a great snapshot of it all.
1: Yes. and, And it does live a little bit in this like other world Robin was telling me that like m- a lot of these phrases weren't used mm-hmm. in real life until after this movie just like Juno yeah yeah as if like wasn't necessarily a thing and then it was and then it was yeah uh, which is pretty cool <laughs> if you can I ask it, it, she has this closet yeah uh, that is connected to her computer yeah and so she has a bunch of clothes that she can like mix and match on her computer yeah this wasn't a thing. I mean, maybe it wasn't super richdom, but we just never knew. But if you could, Uh would you? Uh, If I had the wardrobe to do it, I suppose so. But for guys'
2: fashion, it's not as... uh, You have to have a certain type of fashion because you
1: don't... You have to be a little more eclectic and eccentric. Yeah,
2: because you can't mismatch your suits, you know? And... I mean, you could in the 90s, I bet. I guess you could... I'd have to dress like you if I had a closet like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty weird as far as. I know. <laughs> I think my, I think my insult of the day could be like, yeah, your computer mismatch, your wardrobe again. Eh, Ouch. Ouch. Eh.
1: So, uh, Alicia Silverstone is 16. Uh, Sixteen doesn't yet have her license though, which is scary. Right, and so but she's driving anyway, and we get to meet D, uh, played by Stacey Dash, who's like mm-hmm. her best friend who comes from the same upper crustness. Yeah, and speaking of upper crustness, I have so rarely seen a movie that ign- like has class in it and mm-hmm. completely ignores it. Has popular kids in it who aren't bullies. Right, like. But all of these characters. Like, these are
2: the benign, mean girls. Like, they're not mean. They're, they're not just mean. Really they're rich. just rich. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I, I kind of love that because yeah. every single one of these people seems like a character, but with far less agenda. Yeah. And,
2: and I love that. Uh, it just shows us this culture where it's like, they don't know any difference. They don't know, they don't have anything to compare themselves to. They've just been rich and they've always been rich. And I love, there's this running gag where we see all the teenage girls are getting plastic surgery throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they have like nose, nose jobs. Nose jobs and chin mm-hmm. jobs. And it's just like, that's just how it works in this culture, in this high school. Because it's like, that's not the high school you and I went to.
1: Yeah, and ev- but no. No. But every once in a while we do have like uh, a Breck and Meyer. Type who is the stoner kid. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you don't look rich, but also I don't know if that's because, because you're just like a skateboarder. Right. But probably not. Like, it's the rich side of town but maybe there's a couple kids here that aren't rich but it's like none of that matters. I and I relate to that cuz I was definitely the poor kid who lived
2: in the rich neighborhood mm. cuz all my neighbors worked at Microsoft and my uh, dad was like the one dad So you were who relatively didn't... poor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah cuz like my dad didn't work at Microsoft but somehow we were
1: allowed in in this neighborhood. Oh okay. Um but like <laughs> they they checked your your, your application to the neighborhood And they're like oh I see you work at Microsoft And your dad's like uh, I just wrote that I had a Windows computer But yes yes yeah, totally
2: yeah. But like I was the one driving around the minivan And all my neighbors who are my age Were uh, driving around the BMW ooh. And like that's the feeling So it's like I understand Breckenmeyer's uh, uh, Station in life let's say he's and it's it's not something really it's explored. probably a station wagon <laughs> yeah and it's not really explored but it is an interesting place where he's at where he's surrounded by all this high culture and he's just you know the stoner kid high culture
1: yes rich culture right. maybe more yeah but there's it's funny because like um there's this scene when they're all playing right before we meet britney murphy where they're all like at pe and they're lining up to hit a tennis ball yeah not they're not playing against each other they're just lining up to hit against a machine right and they're all wearing black and white yeah and but none of it was none of it was like gym clothes right and so i was like i was like what is the director saying here like how <laughs> does this notice that is this the fashion oh yeah it's like a long pan shot yeah. they're all wearing black and white but for P.E. I was like, what is going on here?
2: <laughs> I love it. I love the design of this movie. It's just very evocative the whole way through.
1: Who's the director on this one? Amy
2: Heckerlein, who also yeah. wrote and directed. No, she didn't write. She directed Fast Times at Richmond High. Yes. Written um, by Cameron
1: Crowe. And she also uh, wrote and directed the Look Who's Talking movies. Yeah. Like she's like a, a powerhouse. And her first movie that she directed was Fast Times. Yeah. Which is crazy.
2: Yeah. And it's just it makes sense that. You know, it's like 10 years later, it's like the Titan is back to redefine the American teenager once again. Cause I feel like fast times very much was a snapshot of eighties teenagers and this is nineties teenagers. So Emma, uh, you know, she's the average teenager too. Cause like her, uh, sorry, (laughs) genuine mistake. Uh, (laughs) share, uh, has, she's got problems with her grades, right? But nothing
1: she can't talk her way out of because she's cute and she's learned argument from her dad.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's this great thing where it shows us that we probably underestimate teenagers a lot where they sound stupid, but they're actually very bright. And it makes sense that the class that she's having the hardest time in is debate is because she really doesn't sound smart enough for debate. But when she makes an argument, we're like, no, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. You're on to something. You're speaking truth, but you're just speaking your version of it. Yeah. Maybe because like all of her debates are, or all of her points are both stupid and intelligent. Yeah. Um, And like Amber is this girl who's just like, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. So she's got like a little bit of beef, but none to make it a point of this movie. Right. Um And like, we got lots of great teachers at the school. We've got Wallace Sean mm-hmm. who's like fresh... I think he's also into his Star Trek days playing the Grand Negus. He plays a Ferengi guy. Oh. And so there's this line he says where he's like, I'm all ears. And the <laughs> Ferengis have really big ears. So I'm like, ah, oh, nice. Um, but we also have Twin Kaplan, um, like just a lot of a lot of character actors yeah. in this film. Yeah.
2: And so there's a lot of scheming in early on where Cher wants to get a better report card, and so she talks it out with her teachers and the big the big thing that she has to figure out is getting Wallace Shawn with the other teacher played by Twink Kaplan who seemed like I should know her from things, but I don't. But she's, she's also she's on the great. TV show. There you go. <laughs> um, and so they basically, the first first little bit is her playing matchmaker to these two.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because this movie's plot f- is, is kind of non-existent. It's more snapshot of this interesting character's life. Yeah. And that's how Emma, the novel goes,
2: where it's just the misadventures of Emma, where she's trying to get people together and it doesn't go well. Yeah. <laughs> but that's <laughs> she has not to what learn happens a lot of in this.
1: Well, she... I mean, she does eventually, but she gets, right. like, Wallace Shawn and Twin Kaplan together well. And so you're like, oh, she's got... She's got a spark. She yeah, got that her, figured out. And Dion's kind of like her... Sidekick. sidekick. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, but the, the big impetus to the movie that we're watching is when she meets Brittany Murphy, who's a transfer student. And I like... It's it's kind of like this inverse – it's kind of Mean Girls because Brittany Murphy is similar to Lindsay Lohan. But it would be like if Regina George was the main
1: character in Nice.
2: Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I feel like Tina Fey was watching this and was like, what What would
1: it be like if Britney Murphy spin was it? the
2: main character? Yeah. And kind of inverts that.
1: Which is more like the hero's journey, right? Right. Because Cher as Alicia Silverstone uh, – Alicia Silverstone as Cher is this – she is the main character of her own life already. She has got basically all the power. She can drive. She I like has her her dad in her corner. She yeah. has all the grades that she wants. Once like ten minutes of the movie goes by, it's like, what's she fighting for? Mm-hmm. It's not until Brittany Murphy shows up. Ty, she's fighting for a cause. Yeah, and this cause is kind of also stemmed by Paul Rudd, who we haven't even talked about yet. Who's her step-brother. He's like um, an ex-step-brother because the parents divorced. And they very much, like many, many times layered it throughout this movie, say, he's not my brother. He's not my brother. He's not my brother. (laughs) So that when they kiss by the end of the movie, it's okay. It's okay. But he kind of calls her out for just having a pretty superficial life of shopping and Mm -hmm. just, you know, not caring about the world. And he's like in college and he's like 18. And he's like, you know, he knows what's going on. And they brilliantly show it's like you're a pretentious freshman. Exactly. But he's not so pretentious as to be unlikable. Right. Um, And so he calls her out on that. And so she's like, I'm going to basically adopt Brittany Murphy and um, be nice to her. And that's me. Saving the world, (laughs) yeah, and she like throughout the movie, we see that she's just a good person, she really
2: is, and she's cute as a button, yeah. Uh, which makes this movie just kind of a nice, a nice hang for a while. It's a really good palate cleanser after last week, oh, yeah. Uh, so she takes Ty under her wing, they do a makeover that's not a cliche makeover, and I feel like the makeover. It's just kind of a, a freshening up to her look. It's, yeah. It doesn't. It's not a drastic difference. It's not like Princess Diaries. The
1: biggest difference is, I guess, she
2: stops wearing plaid. Yeah. Like they. <laughs> Which they, is more, you know, Seattle. You know, that's yeah. not Los Angeles.
1: Yeah. But I mean, isn't that where also where Paul Rudd's going to school? Uh, oh, I can't remember where his school was. No, because um, the school's in town. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but he was wearing like plaid at the beginning of the movie, and she's making fun of him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she, they basically, um, like the other thing is she's like, she's got this guy, Elton uh-huh. hanging on her all movie. And, uh, at the beginning you get all these shots where he's like putting his arm around her and she's like, whatever it's Elton, blah, blah, blah. And it's obvious that he's into her, but then he, she, I don't know if she knows this subconsciously or she's just like, I want this guy stop touching me. Yeah, She's like, ah, I'll get tied together with Elton. It'll be great. Which is like. This is at one point where it's, she's, like, most like Emma because it's, like, there's no reason these two people should be together. Yeah. But you're just, like, trying to make it happen.
2: And just like Emma, she's
1: missing all these, like... Clues. Big, big clues, yeah. which makes her clueless, so... Right. And they, they do a good job of dropping the word clueless into this movie where basically... Everybody's kind of clueless except for the dad yeah. in this film. And that pretty much sums up
2: teen culture. Yeah. <laughs> I got cut off by a teenager today on the road, and I was, I i literally did want to, hey, what are you doing? Ah, <laughs> kind of thing. And the kid I'm didn't even, here, asshole. and the kid never even looked at me. I'm like, just look at me be upset at you. I just need you to acknowledge that you're a dick. <laughs> and he was just clueless, and it's like, uh, and I feel like, in 20 not even 20 years jesus <laughs> in 15 years we're like oh our kids like i know you're i know you're so smart and so bright but
1: sometimes yeah you clueless about this thing yeah and, and
2: I, we were too that's just
1: how it goes it's yeah, just life totally. stage and and i i love that this movie just kind of sinks into it oh so slow like you're getting into a hot hot tub where it's just like ah oh, mm-hmm. isn't it fun to be clueless for a while yeah. just to be amongst these like drama queens like Donald Faison's and D- Stacey Dash's relationship yeah. is like so high school because they're like fighting sometimes but then they're like real sweet to each other yeah. and uh, you know he's he's putting on a show all the time I don't know it's just like and a lot shares this movie shares totally immune to their drama because
2: she's so used to it and yeah. knows that it's uh-huh. just Teenagers being teenagers. And I feel like yeah. we got that too, where we're just like, we know this isn't like a divorced fight. Like we know that these fights are silly and stupid. Exactly.
1: And I would say that Cher knows she's a teenager and is okay with it. Yeah. And she's blissfully living her life. Exactly. And who can blame her? Yeah. <laughs> and then basically what happens is, you know, Elton's like... <sighs> I like you, Alicia Silverstone. Well, let's after... make out in this car, at this liquor store. I mean, there's there's a bunch of stuff that happens between. There's a lot of rolling with the homies. <laughs> Robin said that her and her friends used to do that all the time. <laughs> well, the, the big thing is
2: we see that Ty also kind of has a crush on, on Breckenmeyer, and, Breck and, and he kind of crushes on her, mm-hmm. but Cher's like, ooh, no, no, no. Like, that's not your culture. You can do
1: better than that. This is the closest it comes To being like full mean girls about it where she's like, no, no, I'm going to show you how to live.
2: Yeah. And it also does get into the Jane Austen just aspect in the sense of you need to think about your like image. Like your lot in life, and you need to do something better than two thousand a year. You need like six you need your Darcy income. And this is <laughs> ten thousand pounds a year. <laughs> you you need much more than that. And he's like, mm And she's looking out for her well being because it's like she's not super concerned about the relationship. Mm-hmm. She's just concerned about where her social stance would be if she went out with Meyer.
1: Right. It's It's benevolent in her mind, but the movie knows that it's insincere.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of those, that's how you write a flawed character Mm -hmm. because Cher, it's a flaw. It's an imperfection where it's like your heart is trying to be in the right place, but it's definitely not in the right place.
1: Yeah. But there's there's something about the way that you're trying to squish your heart into your chest where it doesn't quite go there. Yeah. It just goes right to the left.
2: Yeah. And you know the 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 lesson overall is like
1: run your own race, <laughs> like let people just do their thing. Yeah, yeah, really, because when she steps out of the way, everything just falls into place. Yeah, so she,
2: uh, her and Elton, Sharon Elton, you know, doesn't work out.
1: Yeah, <laughs> she's so not interested. There's this crazy great scene where like he is he is being prototypical like. Like he, I, um, he's like right between, like, molesting her, yeah, and n- like that all important, obviously not getting consent, but still going anyway kind of line. Yeah, he's definitely harassing her. Exactly, and and he like once she says like no means no, where she yeah. has to be forceful about it. He's like fine, whatever, and yeah. she gets out of the car and he drives away. I love the, <laughs> her line when she's she's like, it's like. I'll find my own way home. And he's like, fine. And he leaves. And she's like, Wait, Where are you going? Where are you going? <laughs> it's so real. It's it's such a real moment. Um and then she gets like held up. Yeah. And this guy, like, I love the absurdity of this moment where it feels real in its absurdness, because a guy points a gun at her and he's like, Give me your purse and and you know, your stuff. And yeah, he like wants her to lie down on the ground. Which is absurd in and of itself because what? She's wearing heels. She's not going to chase you. What Total. is her lying down on the ground doing? Yeah. Um, but she won't lie down on the ground because of her dress, and she doesn't want to ruin it. And it's like she's more concerned about her dress, kind of in that moment. Right. It just—it's a real character turned up to eleven, and I love it.
2: I don't remember any of the one-liners, but I feel like a lot of this movie, what it does well is that Cher's narrating, and she just drops these very satirical line readings where it's totally deadpan and she's very committed to it yes. and it just just captures the culture and just it, it skewers teen culture but it also loves teen culture like yes. that's good satire should be yeah. have love factor here yes. it's like these teenagers they're dumb but you gotta love them
0: here's where Dion lives she's my friend because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us yeah. girlfriend and I must give her snaps for her courageous fashion efforts Hey, Shan Dion and I were both named after great singers of the past who now do infomercials
1: this is This is something that the I feel like the to all the boys series doesn't quite understand about teen culture mm-hmm. where it's like. It, it almost has like a 2,000 foot view of teen culture. Yeah. And then it stays there where I feel like this has that view of teen culture, but then it also like dives down and does a documentary about it at the same time. Yeah. Like it it has its cake and eats it too because it's interested in it. Yeah. Whereas they're like, teens teens like baking and putting stuff on Instagram and old right. movies, right? Right. And sometimes there's a weird kid in high school. Yeah. it's like- yeah, that's. I mean, technically, all these things are teen-like to all the boys bef- I loved before. But, but I, I don't feel like any of these characters are real teenagers.
2: And that's what I feel like satire can do really well is like it skewers a thing where it really pins it to the table for us, where it really like shows us shows it, and it doesn't have to say it's it's being it's saying look at this social ill it's not it's not doing that it's saying look at this yeah it's
1: it's and it's, it's like it's like a, a diamond where it's like turning it in front of a light and see like you like, see, oh, see all the lights oh, it's casting everywhere look how look how pretty it is but it's weird right yeah
2: and so clueless throughout the movie again i don't have a one-liner i can just reel off but it's it's
1: their th- omnipresent i feel I feel like I need to just go watch this movie 20 times so I have that baked into my head. But I feel like an old dog trying to learn new tricks when I watch this movie where I'm like, I didn't watch this movie 20 times as a teenager. So I don't yeah. have it like the lines I have from Mean Girls.
2: But it's also appropriate to be to be that method of comedy of being slightly satirical mm-hmm. because that's also how Austin
1: kind of did her thing too mm-hmm. where she's like,
2: all right, culture, I, I, I like it.
1: Um, but it's also dumb. Yeah. Like she doesn't pull punches, especially like when it comes to, I don't know, let's, let's take Mrs. Bennett. Yeah. Like she, she does not pull her punches of Mrs. Bennett, but then she'll also turn around and be like, but I kind of get why she is the mm-hmm. way she is with like a couple Miss Bennett lines. Like, you know. I I don't remember if this one's exactly in the book, but in the movie where she's like, tell me what you're going to do if you have like six daughters and nothing else to do when you're my age. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, I understand you, even though we're making fun of you a lot.
2: Yeah. And it it just gets like, when you're reading Jane Austen, when it's, when it's like, especially a funny book, like Pride and Prejudice, it's just like, you have that like, oh damn. Like there's so many lines where like, that is sharp. That Mm -hmm. is razor sharp. Mm -hmm. And that's there's that weird bubbly feeling of giddiness when you're experiencing a story like
1: that. But you know, Jane Austen loved being in a sitting room and watching all of these conversations go on. She just more loved watching them than Mm -hmm. she did necessarily being in them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, this movie,
2: that it's, that's the thing. It's like, there's not much more plot to uh, like explicate other than what's going on with Paul Rudd. Who's just a cheeky freshman. And we, We've all been those freshmen and seen those freshmen.
1: But he also, he wants to be a good lawyer. He wants mm-hmm. to um, be the marshal of the group mm-hmm. and be be a good lawyer. And so he's learning about law from this corporate lawyer uh, who's uh, her
2: dad. <laughs> My favorite part with the dad who's played by Dan Hedaya. And I think it's also weird that Robin's favorite movies all yeah. feature Dan Hedaya.
1: I know because he's the <laughs> evil boss from Joe versus the Volcano.
2: Yeah, and he has the same exact tact. The way that he goes about things. And Cher's- Well, they're they're a little bit different. This is a slightly warmer character. Cher's like, this is my friend Ty. And he goes, get out of my chair.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why it's so funny. And it's not that he's mean. That's just how he is. No, he's just like, "Uh, this is my house. It'll be my way no matter what. And then he's like, no phones at the table. We're having a family dinner. And then he immediately gets a call and takes it. (laughs) It's that satire stuff where it's like, bam, love it. And so Brittany Murphy ends up becoming the popular girl after this run-in with some bullies at the mall. Um, and Cher gets jealous because
2: she's supposed to be the popular girl. And, yeah,
1: and she doesn't get supremely jealous, though. No, she's, but it, it like, throws her just, off her game. Right, She just is kind of confused. But then she's also confused because Brittany Murphy likes Paul Rudd, and she's like, I have weird feelings about that. And she has kind of like this walk that almost belongs in a musical. And maybe I just think that because she goes by the like Rodeo Drive um fountain. Yeah. And it, it looks like the fountain from American in Paris yeah. for a second. But she just like realizes she's like, I'm in love with Paul Rudd. Yeah. What a cheeky beautiful buddy.
2: It's it's just weird because it's like you're finally catching up to the rest of the world because we've all been in love for Paul Rudd this whole time. Mm-hmm. And we're just waiting for you to get there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and so she finally admits that she is clueless. <laughs> and, you know, their their relationship
2: has thus far been this kind of, like, pattern of, like, he rags on her for, like, watching cartoons and being materialistic and being obsessed with her beauty and all that.
1: And she rags on him for being a dick. <laughs> and, like, there's this cool scene where... Like she, she likes him because of how nice he is to her friends. Mm -hmm. And then he likes her because as ditzy as she seems, she actually knows more than she lets on when like one of his, one of his friends tries, or his girlfriend uh, or whoever he's dating tries to quote Hamlet. And she's like, actually, it's that Polonius guy, Yeah, you know? And, and it's like, oh, these two are actually good for each other. Yeah. And so at the end of the movie, he stands up for her and they have this like, Oh, and this is like, she also decides at this point in time to like go do good work for the world. That's not just like improving a child um, in Brittany Murphy. And they have like this really nice, sweet kiss. Mm -hmm. And then we go to the wedding of Wallace Shawn and Twin Kaplan. And it's nice. It ends in a wedding like a lot of great rom-coms do. Mm -hmm. And I love that Robin was pointing out one of the great things about this genre is that so many weddings happen and they're just happens to be everybody that mattered in the movie at this <laughs> wedding, even though like a lot of them probably have no reason to be there. Right. You know, and yeah. that's great. Was like Breck and Meyer at the wedding? Yeah. Everybody was at the wedding. Like, yeah, cause they're the students. They like just... the teachers were there. The students were there. It's like, we're just inviting all the students from our classes. I hope Breck and Meyer's doing good these days. Me too. The only other movie we've had him in, uh, was the, uh, the butter movie. Can't the, <laughs> the the one where they travel in time and Hugh Jackman talks about butter? Oh God, Kate and Leopold. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it's Brecken Meyer. He was in it and he was good. Yeah, hope you're doing good. This is a personal. Shout Looks out like he to has Breck a beard.
2: Meyer. Yeah, we're looking at the IMDb right now. Uh, I also just love the scene where they accidentally go on the freeway.
1: No, oh, <laughs> it's, it's chaos. so good. It's
2: so much fun,
1: and I like that. Like you know, Cher and D are both virgins at the beginning of this movie, but it's after that that. D loses her virginity <laughs> Yeah. and it's just like, yeah, that's, that's, that was high school mm-hmm. where, you know, things seemed very dramatic and you're like, I've been waiting, but no longer. Yeah. I totally. didn't have sex in high school, so I don't know what I'm talking <laughs> about, but. I I wanted to, <laughs> but but I heard it was great. I had a lot of friends had really good times. I had a lot of near death experiences where I was like, man, it would be great to have sex right now. Afterwards. You know, reaffirm
2: my commitment to living. <laughs> and that's the movie. That was great. Yeah, it's it's a big ball of joy. What what would you give this movie out of five? I mean, frankly, I would still just give it a four out of five. Um, I would um, I reserve my fives to be basically Star Wars movies these days, (laughs) but it's definitely worthy of the Blu-ray shelf and would be top shelf for me, basically. I feel like I should have tiers of shelves Mm -hmm. where you got your top shelf- rom-coms, the way you have top-shelf sure.
1: flickers. Sure. I mean, we started, like, anybody who's listened to the first episodes recently and now just jumped to these and you're like, wow, your guys' format is really different. <laughs> we used to do tiers. Yeah. I would, this is definitely top tier. I would say top tier. I'm going to call it
2: top-shelf rom-com. Definitely mm. top-shelf rom-com. It's the more expensive rom-com mm-hmm. on the shelf. Definitely.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm uh, up there. I think I might even, I, I'd give this like a four point two five four point five somewhere in there i really liked it and this is only my second time watching the movie i'd watch it again
2: yeah and i really like that robin showed it to us yeah that was like my best introduction because when someone comes to you and says this movie is important to me i'll give it more i'll pay more attention i try and pay attention a lot yeah but like i feel like i had the best intro to this movie and so this rewatch i was like I know what I'm getting myself into. I know I'm going to enjoy this and I was able to see a lot more things cuz I knew what to expect and what was coming at me.
1: Yeah, this movie feels layered like things like like a Mean Girls where it's like it it bears rewatching and mm-hmm. each time you rewatch it like you might you might not have the biggest laughs again but you'll notice more and you're like ah oh. Thing. There's yeah, a that, lot going yeah.
2: on, like the, the girls getting all their nose jobs throughout it. Yep. There's a lot of just active, like you can tell that Amy Heckerling really knows what she's doing. Yeah. It's unfortunate because yeah. she has a lot of other flops that we'll probably have to watch too. But
1: Oh, really? She other made flops, a movie. Said.
2: Uh remember we were talking the other day. I'm like, you know, all the highest like the high school teenage vampire lovers movies. You're mm-hmm. like, yeah, Twilight. I'm like, there was other ones, and I yeah. couldn't really roll them off my tongue, but there's also a movie called Vamps, which she directed. Starring Alicia Silverstone And uh, who was the A recent movie? Yeah, it came out in 2010 um, Kristen Ritter oh, Kristen Ritter and Alicia Silverstone As like sexy vampires I mean,
1: that sounds like something I'd watch Yeah, didn't do well at the box office But we should watch it Yeah, no, I mean, let's put, make sure it's on the list Yeah uh, key dokey. Well, I think that'll send us on over to Tropes Let's see if we can find any that we're clued into
2: and we're back with Trope Talk. It's like dope talk because Ty is technically a stoner in this movie. Did we, did anyone notice? She was making a lot of herb jokes. Oh,
1: yeah, for sure.
2: It was good. I
1: liked it. I missed it the first time. I mean, they – I I actually – they smoke weed like – at this party. Right. And I'm like, oh, you have your, it's 1995 and you're having your main character in like this super ritzy neighborhood. Yeah. Like just smoke weed on camera. I'm like, bold movie. Yeah. Like way to go. Yeah. Paramount execs <laughs> were okay with it. That's, I mean, that's what's as, cr- like, this is a big studio movie and it really surprised me.
2: Yeah. And that's uh, one
1: of. you who do you think this movie is for? I think this is for high schoolers. Yeah. Like to be like, ah, like this is how the the rich, cool kids live. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically. <laughs> and and it's like, you know, it, it seemed very much like I don't know if you went to any parties in high school. <laughs> no. <Okay.
2: laughs> I, I no, didn't sir.
1: I didn't go to very many either, but that party was far more like my like a college party that that I'd go to.
2: I was certainly reminded of that.
1: And so what, what my brain did when it did its mental gymnastics is because like in every high school movie, you see this kind of party. And in my mind, I was like, um, maybe it's just that all of these popular kids or rich kids ended up going to parties like this. And I just didn't, (laughs) Yeah, you know, like, so I believe they exist. I just wasn't going to them. the The parties I went
2: to looked more like the Mean Girls parties, the Halloween party that she has, where it's oh the the Halloween party, yeah. Robust. But I was
1: thinking of like the later one where it's just a bunch of people in a house like drinking a ton. Yeah, um, <laughs> I just never went to that one.
2: Yeah, they didn't ask me.
1: Yeah, well, it's fine. So, do you want to know what the trope is? Yeah. So the trope today is barely available love. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's that weird intersection of two people who it's almost weird that they'd be together, mm-hmm. but just not weird enough so that we're okay with it. Right. There's always an element
2: that you don't you don't think about it at first, but then you kind of have to think about it and you're like, oh, maybe I can be okay with this. Yeah.
1: And so in this movie, we have Alicia Silverstone and Paul Rudd who are not related by blood. Mm-hmm they were only in a stepbrother step sister situation years ago for like half a year. Mm-hmm. And there's i in my mind nothing wrong about them dating. Right. Right. But it was it's a it's a, it's so close to a bl- brotherly sisterly relationship that that like some people might think it's weird.
2: Yeah, you could also have the royal Tenenbaum things of adopted siblings falling mm-hmm. in love, mm-hmm. which also feels really weird. When, but when you really think about it, it's not that weird.
1: It's not that weird, but there is this like ness mm-hmm. to it, where it's like like you're living in the same house, and so the the availability of like getting together is is tense and right there. Yeah, and so. If you never thought about that as a as a couple of people, then you're probably lying. Yeah. But the fact that it does happen in this movie or in Royal Tenenbaums makes it like, I don't know, just uh, it adds a little bit of spice to this relationship. Because yeah. what if he was just like a guy like a college student yeah, who was living at the house yeah. because he like had like an internship or he was right. living like down the street and he was just always there helping There wouldn't the be dad.
2: much drama and there wouldn't be like, if she was attracted to him, then he would be a romantic figure right away. But he's not.
1: Right. He'd, he'd almost be like an older boy who's like coming into the house. Yeah. And, and with this, it gives them like history and like gruff history. Yeah. And so it makes their sweet just have that like nice bit of salt to it. Yeah. What are some other relationships that we see in these movies that are akin to this trope? Well, I feel like- But A- not akin because if they were akin, then, then they wouldn't be allowed. Right. Right. Kin. Kin. As in family. <laughs> uh,
2: well, I feel like age is another factor in this this kind of thing Like a Harold and Maude kind yeah, of forbidden love Definitely Harold and Maude is mm-hmm. is a good example I'm trying to think if there's other like You know your Richard Gere, Julia Rob, Richard Gere, Julia Roberts prostitute. Okay. prostitute that gets
1: in the way <laughs> Right because it's like a job Yeah And she doesn't kiss on the lips Right I, I'm thinking of something that is almost More societally taboo Not mm-hmm. that being a prostitute isn't generally Tabooed still and we'll say sex worker you guys deserve sure. credit um but what i'm i'm going to point to like somebody who is basically not with their significant anymore like there's always this thin line in these movies where it's like oh i've been separated from my person for a while so it's f- fine Mm -hmm. and it's like it really depends on the context of the movie and the story whether we agree with them or not
2: yeah well wait are you wait keep going keep explaining it
1: well i don't know there's there's always like these these weird relationships where it's like um like my my husband my husband's been in a coma for years or or you know i'm I, it's fine that I'm cheating on you with this person because they're a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, okay, that's not like, I, I can't any, think of any examples, but it feels like when we're we're surrounding ourselves with, will they or won't they get together? You there's have, to there's have al- a
2: flimsy reason to
1: be getting in the way. Right, exactly. There has to be, or uh, even not even, yeah, because it has to be broken through in a way that we agree with in this genre.
2: Yeah, and like we were talking about the proposal the other day and we're like, well, why haven't why haven't they gotten back? Why haven't they gotten together in the first place? And it's like, because she's terrifying.
1: She's terrifying and she's his boss. Yeah. Like there is there, yeah, there's that a dynamic. there's another good one. Yeah. Like you work together, thus you are not together. Right. Right. And generally that changes if you both just say, ah, whatever. Yeah. Like in what's the sleeping with other people movie where he's like, just date me. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, yeah. okay. Two Weeks Notice is
2: the exact same dynamic in the sense of boss and, like, employee and employer, but also she thinks he's a a rapscallion.
1: Right. But very, very specifically, they don't get together until after they break up. Right. I mean, <laughs> professionally. Yeah. Yeah. Break and, apart. And so there's, there's just something to this genre that has a... If, if there is a little bit of a reason why we shouldn't be together, yeah. that means that it's more interesting when they do. Like, you brought up Knight's Tale earlier. Mm-hmm. The These two characters, we know that they really shouldn't be together class-wise because right. she is way in the upper crust and he's way in the lower crust. But since he's pretending to be a knight, that brings them closer together. Yeah. But when she finds out, what's that going to do? Right.
2: You know? Well- and even like Pride and Prejudice, if you lived in Pemberley and like you knew who Darcy was, you knew who Elizabeth was, and someone was like, you ever think those two will hook up? And you like, no. No. <laughs> no.
1: That would be a terrible idea. Well, because she she lives in Longbourn, which is a much smaller house. <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. But he makes it work. The heart wants what the heart wants. He says, no, Aunt, you... <laughs> can't marry Elizabeth because I am <laughs> don't bat your Judy Dench eyes at me I don't think Judy Dench in that movie is the person to bat eyes I think she'll she points fingers and gets huffy mm-hmm. and says I would be really I would have been proficient at music if only I had <laughs> I will say music
2: I will say if anyone's gonna lecture me it's gonna be Judy Dench I want Judy Dench to lecture me.
1: Yes. Like if, if I wasn't living up to my potential, I feel like she could get me there. Yeah. Yeah. Please yell at me. Judy Actually, Dench. I need that now. <laughs> Judy.
2: <laughs> Judy, help. I feel like that should be a website. Yell at me, And it's just a video
1: of Judy Dench being like, we saw what you did. This is. We were not. We were not pleased. I bet Judy. I bet we have a catalog of Judy Dench saying almost every word at this point in time. Yeah. We just need an algorithm that will have her say anything that you type into the <laughs> the message, but you take it from all of her loudest moments. Yeah. All right. I think you should get a new
2: job. <laughs> well, it's settled. That's our
1: trope. Uh, Judy Dench is terrifying. So that settles it. Yep. Yeah, that settles it. Uh, I think it's time to go over onto the Patreon corner. This is me shuffling my feet. This is me doing uh, a soft shoe.
2: (laughs) So uh, it's uh, June and we've got a June poll. Our Patreon listeners can pick the next movie that we watch. And we've got a cascading
1: array of choices out there. Yeah, it is. It is probably our most... Diversified votes. Yeah, we have uh, fifty-first states in the lead, followed very closely by Mystic Pizza, followed very closely by Five Hundred Days of Summer, followed very closely by Summertime.
2: So y'all should vote and get on there. I mean, I don't know where I want you to be swayed. Like, I'm now more curious to watch Mystic Pizza more than anything because it's got so many votes. It's second, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, maybe I'm. Maybe there's something I don't
1: know. I. I've only seen it once, but I love the world of mystic pizza so much that mm. I really want to watch it too. But it's, I mean, it's second right now. Yeah. And we only do two movies if there's a tie.
2: Yeah. So I don't know, you guys jump on there, make the tie happen.
1: Uh, Gilmore girls is up. It's up. It's Enjoy up. it. Gilmore girls. It's up. I promise. That's all we got to say.
2: <laughs> Next up on deck is speed. We're going to do speed. Love speed, Keanu Love Reeves, speed. Sandra Bullock. It's appropriate, Sandra Bullock. She's our queen, so yeah. we have to do speed.
1: And Keanu, he's in a couple rom coms. Yeah, he's he's also in the Lake House. Yeah, he's a with dish. He's a dish. That's oh. a good thing, right? Is oh, it yeah. good to be a dish? I mean, unless you're a broken
2: dish. What do you? What do dishes do when they're hot? Men. Oh, like it's the, it's like you, a hot
1: plate. Yeah, you serve something up hot oh, on a dish.
2: Okay. Okay, wait, that's why he's on. a dish
1: wait if you're a dish though and you're serving something hot on it i'm oh he's serving something hot which is his love yeah i thought you were putting a hot thing like keanu reeves on a plate no
2: no it's a hot dish okay yeah i i, I would want to eat some, something off of him
1: right because mm, yeah. that's what the dishes kind of hairy like me well, i don't know
2: not in that part in the matrix where they're like he's like why do my eyes hurt and
1: Morpheus is Wait, like. So you very. Spe-
2: that's the you, scene I would want to eat off of him.
1: You specifically want when he was having, shaved, having shortened. been in a gel yeah. for a while mm-hmm. f- for the consumption of his I figured his they energy. cleaned him up really good there. You want no eyebrows, Neo? Yeah, I want brand new, never been <laughs> ba- used. You want baby skin, perfect hot dish, Neo? Yeah,
2: there we go. So <laughs> that's the next one. is Speed. After that, I would want to have a on-air production meeting. Do you think would you be interested in doing a commentary, a movie commentary? I would love to do a movie commentary. Your pick, choose a rom com. We'll
1: do a commentary for. Do we want it to be a one that we love or one that is goofy? I think
2: it should be one that we love because I think I think we could bring a lot to the table of. Explaining why we love it so much and be like, look at this scene. This is why we're commentating on it because of
1: this scene. And then this part happens. And look at like, that. I feel like people have made a job out of this because it works really well in movies that aren't good. Because we'd want to pause and be like, the reason why this is so cool is this, but then the movie's gonna keep playing.
2: Yeah, it's I mean, if you watch if you watch other DVD commentary tracks, I get frustrated because I'm like, you guys, you just you keep talking about the scene before. Talk about this one. I'm looking at your shelf. What about Vampiros Lesbos? Oh, yes. The masterpiece of Vampiros Lesbos demands a a commentary track. (laughs) No, I Uh, think it'd be fun if we did something like Notting Hill because we could really like we've already talked about Notting Hill. That might be a good idea. But it would be nice to have a new conversation about it in a new context. Well, so we've got Gilmore Girls. We've got uh, the poll. Kelly, what'd you write about this week? This
1: week, my essay was about Star Trek. Star Trek. I have now seen the majority of Star Trek, mm-hmm. and some of them I've seen many times. Some are new to me, and n- there is a there is a swath of difference between n- new Trek, middle Trek, and old Trek. Like yeah. there, there are some pretty clear delineations in storytelling, and then there are a lot of things that connect to them as well. Mm-hmm. And I just have a lot of feelings about it. And so I think what I'm gonna do is just or I think I think what I've done is basically vent those feelings mm-hmm. into the ether. And it's mainly good things, but it's also kind of summarizing why I go to Star Trek as a place. Mm-hmm. Why why I love going to that world of Star Trek. And I think different people go to it for different reasons, but there is a love that I have and I feel like I am rewarded so much through Star Trek. And so it's kind of like a love letter to what I love, but also sometimes what I miss. There's just a lot of feelings involved.
2: That's how I feel about Star Wars. It's definitely, that's how that's what Star Wars is for me. Yeah. Um, I feel like the 90s, What a time it must have been to be a Star Trek fan in the 90s, like 97, where you've got all these movies coming out. You've got Next Gen has come out. You've got Enterprise going. You've got or Dis9 going.
1: No. So you had actually um, by that point in time, your perfect years are are definitely in the 90s because you have uh, Next Gen. Uh huh. And then overlapping that by two seasons is DS9. Uh-huh. And then overlapping DS9 by two seasons is Voyager. Voyager,
2: that was what And I was then thinking.
1: right after that, you have Enterprise. Yeah. And so, and Enterprise was not received as well as the first three. Right. But the last season I've heard is really good. It's the, the one that I've not seen. Right. Um... <laughs> But, but still, so much content, and and today it's kind of like a renaissance because yeah. um, you have disco, you have uh, lower decks, mm-hmm. you have strange new worlds, you have the like new Janeway cartoon, and oh. so there's uh, and and like Star Trek animated, I believe is is doing something new. Um, and that's like TOS episodes that they animate, oh, um, and cool. so like there's a lot coming out. And I even think that there were a couple that were canceled, but they're going to also make a couple more now. And so there's a lot of Trek out right now if you're a fan, and I have opinions about <laughs> some of it, and I love some of it. Yeah. So
2: it's a it's a weird mixed blessing and curse because the more you add on to it, the more you dilute the thing, but you also have the potential to make it rich, great because yeah. it's like. If all you had was just the original series and that's all you had, it was still pretty great. But it's like, guys, next gen, just imagine
1: what it can be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because like next gen is classic, but not without its flaws. Sure. But it's it also has some of the best of what Star Trek is. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Um, I love it. Uh, if anything, you guys should watch more Star Trek.
1: Speaking of sci-fi news, did you hear that Neil Patrick Harris was going to be in the new Russell da- Russell T. Davies is coming back he's to Doctor back. Who, and he's bringing Neil Patrick Harris along it's with him. It's so
2: funny. Like I, I was like, but he's not British. They won't let him in.
1: There, there's American actors in there. I know. I Andrew, know. Oh, well, no, Andrew Garfield's British. He just <laughs> plays an American Spider-Man. <laughs> hey, I'm Phil Spider-Man. Yeah, I'm very excited.
2: Uh, it's a good time to be a geek. It is. Uh, uh, well- uh, let's let's jump into letters. Hey Flo! Huh? Mail come.
0: Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you've got mail. You send me a letter. You've got mail.
2: Uh, letters today is very brief. It's just Janu has a uh, uh, you know, good friend of the show, Janu. Has sent us a uh, a, a prompt on uh, Instagram. She basically said she loved Patrick Dempsey and Enchanted, and we can just go to hell. No, she didn't say that.
1: No, <laughs> she was very nice about it. Um, but I, I get it. Like, there's an appeal to Mr. Dempsey. Mm-hmm. He he wasn't for me, mm-hmm. but I I get it. And she made a good
2: point that, and I think we might have touched on this, but we should have touched on it more. Is that he is perfectly like. Scientifically, he's the con- flip side of the coin. He's contrasted wonderfully to yeah. James Marsden, for sure. For um, sure, and I think the reason why we are like so cold on Patrick Dempsey is that we just love Marsden so much.
1: Yeah, for sure. And i I don't necessarily. I think it's very academic to have him be the opposite, mm-hmm. but it it's I don't know. It just wasn't. It didn't hit me in the same way. But love what you love, Janu. Yeah. Like if,
2: if get, Patrick Dempsey works for you, all. If power you want to jump
1: you. Patrick Dempsey's bones, we get it. I, it's fine. We get okay? it. Okay. Um, if we, you have Mick dreams about him, yeah. More, more room. More room for James Marsden. So, um, actually, we had a, another letter. Completely forgot from Claire. She wanted to ask, uh, or she asks, who does your guys'... Uh, Segment drops. Kelly does. Uh, You've done a couple, too. I've done a
2: couple, but Kelly's really good at them.
1: Um, Yeah, I I did them for... Done most of them, but the mm-hmm. ones uh, you've actually picked up the 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 sword recently, and you did the Golden Sword I Award. Did the Golden Sword? That's Ryan's sn- voice in there. I did
2: Snobby. Um, it, like my challenge is like, okay, I gotta be as creative, Kelly. So mine, I feel like
1: mine are weirder, and you're more like have more effort put into them. <laughs> yours yours feel okay. This is the difference, though. I I basically just combine a bunch of like elements that you and I both know about. Yeah. And turn them into a segment drop. Yeah. Um, and what you do is you're like, no, I'm going to create an entirely new thing. Yeah. Mostly with your voice. Although I did that with Robin's voice too. I love because she did Hot the, Bellamy. She, she's the voice behind Hot Bellamy.
2: It's so good because like the first time I heard it, I'm like, how did they get a professional actress to do that? Like and it's because my what? wife's a
1: professional actress.
2: <laughs> she was so good. And she is so good. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised by it.
1: But you your wife, um, your wife did uh, vocal work for Robin's movie. Yeah, I need to get her to do some more singing. Yeah, your wife has a fantastic voice, too.
2: And you can hear it right now. I won't be able to convince
1: her to do so, it. So, Claire, if you're looking for anybody to make drops for your podcast, reach out if you have one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, so
1: speaking of my drops, I
2: might as well just ask you now. Who are you going to give the Golden Sword Award to? She...
0: A blessing from the Lord.
1: God be praised. The Golden Sword. I think I'm going to drop it off to Donald Faison's Scream. <laughs> brilliant it it got me both times i watched this because there's there's this like jaws moment where a truck is just approaching them they don't see it coming and when he sees it he screams and there's there's nothing like i can't separate him from turk these days and this was his most turk moment in this movie it was really great so he gets the golden sword Mm -hmm. or his scream
2: um can i give my golden sword to paul rudd's dna (laughs) <laughs> His double helix. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> I just feel like this is where, I, like, he still looks like the Paul Rudd in this movie. Like today, like if they needed to do oh, clueless yeah.
1: reshoots, mm-hmm. they could with him. Yes, yes, it'd be very easy. I, I do think he he hasn't. There's something about him in this movie that feels like he's the Stretch Armstrong version, though. Yeah, where like you could. You could, at that point in time, his face was still elastic enough that it could have gone anywhere, Right, but it it just decided to stay where it is and get more definition. Yeah. But God damn it, he's charming. He's a beautiful man. Yeah. And you're right. His smile might be the best smile in Hollywood. Mm. Yeah. It's real good. Yeah. Uh, Great. Well, uh, would you give this man, this Paul Rudd, a rom-com Oscar? or would you give it to his parents?
2: Yeah, for mixing
1: sh- him up. Well done. Um I'm
2: giving my Oscar to Bill Pope, the DP, the cinematographer. Mm. I love the way this movie looks. Me too. It's got this very like bright and poppy super saturated look without looking super saturated. It it there's something about it that feels southern California.
1: Like yeah. it just feels sunny.
2: Like if you look at the grass, it's this lush, vibrant green grass Mm -hmm. and their skin tones just look gorgeous. The yellows are super yellow. Elegant. And her, yeah, that first costume she's wearing, that first outfit. He's like, teal and orange, get out of here. It looks fantastic. So
1: cinematography, well done. It was great. Um, I think I'm going to go with best writing in this because I, I don't think it's like the... Greatest story ever told by any stretch of the imagination. The, the story's whatever. The plot is whatever. But for all of that, it somehow captured my attention in such a unique way mm-hmm. where I, okay, it's, you know, there's some people who love a score to just like wow them in a movie. Yeah. Um, and then there's other people that say, no, the best score is the one that you don't notice. I like scores to wow me, but the dialogue, like it, it all only stood out in the times that it was supposed to. Yeah. And, and the other times I was, it was sweeping me away so much so that like, if it was a Shakespeare adaptation rather than Jane Austen, I'd be like, I understand all the words you're saying right. and I didn't have to think about it. Yeah, exactly. Even though they were words I don't use very often.
2: Totally. Yeah. And it feels fresh. Even even now, the movie feels fresh. It doesn't feel. It does feel like a bit of a time capsule, bolt, sure. but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel creaky.
1: It doesn't, and I think the the music in it is pretty timeless too. Like they're dropping T Rex, yeah, uh, and, and all the young dudes with everybody. Like yeah. they're they're capturing something about the fashion in that moment, but they're using something. To enhance it from a different decade. I don't know. There's something special about it. We
2: should also credit it for being such a cornerstone to later on teen movies, which just steal from it. And it's like, great artist steal. I get it. But like we should really credit... Like, There's this walkthrough where we're looking at all the clicks. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that scene is in 10 Things I Hate About You. And that scene is in Mean Girls. Yep. Like carbon copies of that scene.
1: Yeah. It's just that they go... I think the reason why they're successful in those two movies and the reason why you brought them up is because they do different things with those scenes. Like the reason why they do it in Mean Girls is because like she has to get to know all of these different cliques that will be fighting later. Yeah. And we get an
2: anthropological view of these cliques.
1: Exactly. Whereas in this one, it's more just like those are those people, those are those people, we're the popular people, and now you know them, and it's more like an introduction, so it like set up the trope Mm -hmm. in a way that like other better, other, of the artists that stole from it, the better ones knew, well, I have to do something fresh with this.
2: Yeah, and I kind of like, I kind of like 10 Things I Hate About You more than Clueless, but I'm now recognizing the mastery of Clueless. Yeah. Uh, And 10 Things I Hate About You saw Clueless and like, we could do that. And they
1: did their own thing. I think I feel the exact same way. I think I like 10 Things a little bit more than this, but not for any glaring reasons. Yeah,
2: I I just respect Clueless more, much more. Now, yeah. Yeah. Do you respect me? I respect you so much, I need to know who you'd fall in love with.
1: Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is, I've loved you from the first second I met you.
0: (laughs) But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, I love,
1: I love you. I know. I'm going to be vanilla about this and just go with Alicia Silverstone. She's great. She's... She's just so nice. And there's, there's a point in time where she fails the um, the driver's test that she's doing. Uh-huh. And it's just brilliant because she has done everything wrong. She's run into a couple of cars and the guy is like, there's no way you're getting this. <laughs> and she's trying to talk her way out of it. And she's realizing that she can't. And it's one of those lessons that this character in particular needs to mm-hmm. learn. But she puts on the saddest Cutest, most adorable face. And I in that moment was like, I'm sorry, I, I wouldn't be able to say no. Yeah, I'm like, you know? here's your driver's license. Go kill some
2: people, I guess. <laughs> um, I'm going with Stacy Dash as D because mm. whoa, she is gorgeous. Um, and I don't know, I feel like I could I could I could handle it. Like I feel like there'd be some drama, but I could handle it. Yeah. Like, if I have the constitution of Donald Faison, I could do it.
1: Yeah, I think it would be really tough for me just because she she's an even worse driver, I would say, than Alicia Silverstone, mm-hmm. and that's hard for me. I get real stressed out when I'm with a bad driver, but I see where I see where you're coming from. Right, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. just don't go in the car. That's all it takes. Donald Faison is also pretty cool, but he seems a little bit like a player to me. <laughs> well, there's braces in this movie. That's very good. Um, okay, well, that's this week's movie. I think we have to pick a new movie. Yeah. Alright, give me a number between one and one sixty three. My favorite number. No, that's in a lot of my passwords actually. <laughs> um let's go with eight. Ooh, eight.
2: Oh an essential film for our canon. We're going to be doing an affair to remember
1: what What we already did. Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs>
2: Cornerstone to sleepless in Seattle. The movie that inspired Nora Ephron and whatever his name is, who wrote the movie in the first
1: place. We'll see if it lives up to the hype. Mm-hmm. Carrie
2: Grant will sweep us off our feet and hopefully not drop us. And well, yeah, especially because we can't walk. Um, <laughs> uh, also joining him will be Deborah Carr. Is it Carr or Kerr? Kerr. Kerr. Mm-hmm. All right, Kelly, I love you so much that I would drive with you in a car, even if you didn't have your driver's license, onto
1: a freeway. I love you so much that I'd catch the bouquet. Ah. <clears throat> and this is where we will say Goodbye.
0: Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu,
1: thank you for listening to our review, rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe, see you next week on a gentleman's guide, to romcoms.